Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1350, air date November 6, 2023. Hi, Lee, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm really well, thank you. Uh, welcome to the front line. It's a pleasure to have you on. Great to be here, Lee. Okay. Lee, where are you out of, by the way? Uh, Cheshire in England. Okay, great. We stream, uh, the front line goes to about uh, like 10 to 20,000, depending on the subject. I would imagine this is going to be mm-hmm. a good one. So it, it, okay. it, in the United States and in Europe, in the UK. So it's uh, uh, hopefully it will be a, a, a good audience for you. Now, there's also a front line that's on like PBS. Is this the same or is it related to it? No, no, no. We're okay. independent. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, good afternoon and welcome back to the front line. Today, we've got a really special guest with us today. Uh, he's a holder of a PhD from MIT, an inventor of email, he's a scientist, inventor, entrepreneur, and a Fulbright scholar. He holds four degrees from MIT, including his PhD in biological engineering. He started seven successful high-tech businesses, created thousands of jobs. His life has been about solving difficult problems by identifying root cause and bringing teams of people together to find innovative solutions. Now he wants to serve America beyond the left, beyond the right, delivering solutions that are necessary. And most importantly, he's one of us, not another lawyer, not a lobbyist or a politician, Dr. Shiva. Welcome to the front line. Great to be here, Lee, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. I suppose the first and burning question for any aspiring politician, especially for such a high office, is who is Dr. Shiva? What are your value systems? What is it that makes you a candidate for president? Well, it's a good question. You know, um, I think we should also ask the the alternative, you know, what are the values of being a president? Um, Because I think there's some assumptions on what a president is supposed to be. And sometimes that comes with these values that you um, are, quote unquote, presidential, which means you come uh, from them. You know, you come from the swarm, as I call it. You come from one of the elites. And obviously, that's not who I am. So people are looking from that form of a president. of what a president is, I'm definitely not that. Um, but I believe if you look back at the history of leadership, and in this case, a history of the United States, most of the people who founded the country and who really set forward sort of the uh, value system of the United States uh, were from below. You know, they were, if, if anything, not from below. Uh, they actually had skills, Lee. You know, they were, if you look at someone like Franklin, who was one of the founders, you know, he was a many things you know he was a printer he was a engineer he was an inventor as many things um uh, jefferson was an architect um he was obviously a a great orator um he could solve problems and same with even washington washington was a surveyor a businessman um and so politics was something that they did as a as a point of service it wasn't something that was a vocation and i don't think for any of these founders uh, being a politician was a vocation they actually had other jobs and um, service um, was what they did when they served in politics. And the, and the idea was you would go back to do your actual job. Um, what's happened is most people who are presidential candidates or run for office are either lawyers or they think of this as a vocation. So that's mm-hmm. not who I am. You know, most of my life has been um, understanding systems, solving problems. Um, looking at root cause issues of what causes a problem, and then actually innovating a solution. That's pretty much what my life has been, Lee. 
And, um, and then I've had also the ability to articulate um, that solution, that problem, and then mobilize people to solve those problems. So, you know, the many, many companies I started, um, uh, I've always had to work in teams uh, and put uh, solutions together. So, and it was always being very, very hands-on. A lot of people don't understand. I mean, I get up around five in the morning and I go to bed around midnight. Um, and I'm very, very hands-on. You know, every company I've run, um, I'm, you know, I'm running the companies. It's not like I outsource that to someone else. Um, because when you're building something and solving something, you have to be, in my view, very close to what you're doing. You may obviously later bring in other people to run it, but everything I've ever done, I could say that I could do anyone else's job. Um, and obviously find people can do your job better, but I've always had the ability, um, to get very hands-on. And I think that's what, um, most of these, if you look at the people who drafted the Constitution, they were very hands-on, right? Um, they actually did the work that they talked about. So the key value system is, if you notice what I've used a word here is work. Who is actually doing the work? Who's putting out the labor? Um, and the world, about the 8 billion people we have, uh, most of them actually work, right? They put in their sweat and their labor. The 0.00001% actually do not work. They're just moving money around all day or they're hanging out together, right? Or they're not even money. sure they just move money around all day. I think that there's a total disconnect between the political class globally, particularly in the West, than, than the, the people that they govern. Yeah. So, so basically, um, they have confused people to think capital is more important than labor. Um, and the reality is that. Um, most of us work for a living. Um, we have to, a mother has to take care of their a child. You know, if you're a plumber, you're an electrician, or you're an engineer, you have to make something and you're accountable for what you make. These people aren't accountable for anything that they make. So I think the key thing I could say, my value system, and you can talk to anyone and people can go look at it. When I was a young kid, four years old, I've always been working. You know, I enjoy working. I enjoy people apply themselves. I enjoy people, not just people of talent, but they take their talent and they apply it to something, and ultimately, do they serve other people? So I would say that's what the value is, and broadly, what citizenship is, service. Service is citizenship, and um, the idea of a leader is someone who should exemplify the highest quality so you inspire other people. You're not just talking stuff, but you're actually doing it. You walk the walk, and so I've had to walk the walk my whole life, and what does that mean? I've had to fight injustice my whole life for, for me personally as well as others. Um, even now, you know, um, so I, I know I am one of us, you know, I'm one of you, you know, I'm not someone who uh, randomly says, oh, yeah, I know your plight. I know what you've gone through. No, I've actually lived that. And I still continue to live that um, every microsecond. I have to live the fact that I the, that uh, um, because of what I do and what I say and my thoughts work, match my deeds, that uh, I have to fight the fact that those in power uh, attempt to make me invisible. They're so afraid of me, they won't even have a controversy with me anymore because they know if I get in front of the camera to large masses of people, I'll convince people um, you know, where I'm coming from and my point of view. So that's the injustice that not only I face, but pretty much every um, hardworking person on the planet, we're made to be invisible. And the people who are made to be visible are, are people in those power structures, Lee. I agree entirely. And, and this is where I, re I saw you with Mike Adams, and I, I, I was really impressed. And I thought, I'd like to talk to this guy. 
And because those are the values of real people. And it's difficult for them to, 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 be, to be heard by the political class. And, and, and I think the, the, this Gaza, Ukraine, the incident in Niger earlier this year, the people feel so disconnected from these actions taken by the political class. I'd be really interested in how you see Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, uh, and the way that, this, that these groups are acting. Well, first of all, if you look at every, um, I would say more, probably 90, 95% of those people who are in the Congress of the United States, if you know, the United States has three branches of government. The uh, legislative branch, which has two houses, a lower house called the House of Representatives, the quote unquote, the upper house, which is called the Senate, about 100 senators, about 400 plus uh, Congress people. Uh, it's got the judiciary, which is made up of the Supreme Court, the federal courts, et cetera. And then it's got the executive branch, which is where the president resides. Um, in the United States, no one uh, who or anyone who aspires to be president, um, by the way, has no values except of that of the 0.01% or, uh, or someone in the legislative branch, um, has to uh, become uh, a slave. Uh, or has to pay homage to the Zionist establishment. Um, and Zionism is the, in my view, it's racism. It's frankly anti-Semitic and has nothing to do um, with Judaism. It actually um, is a political ideology which serves imperialism. It was created by a guy called Theodore Herzl. But in, nonetheless, in the United States, um, there, uh, there's an organization called APAC, and they're the ones who decide um, who's going to be the next congressional candidate, and they all have to bow down to APAC, which is the largest Zionist um, lobbyist. Now, here's the deal. I've been fighting uh, Zionism, racism, imperialism my whole life, casteism, because I grew up in a world where those directly affected me and those around me. Uh, in 1981, I organized one of the biggest, um, uh, 1981, 1982, a protest against a guy called Mir Kahana, who was a racist Zionist nutjob who had come to Boston. Um, so I've always been a ground activist, Lee. I never believed in the electoral process. But when you look at what's happened uh, since 1948, at minimum, and I'm being very conservative, um, the occupation of Palestine took place by Zionism, by the Zionist forces, but so did the occupation of the United States. Nearly every seat of power, uh, uh, major institutional power in the United States is controlled by Zionism. The academic institutions, the financial systems, uh, the the healthcare systems, et cetera. Um, and Zionism, by the way, is not Judaism. Um, most Zionists, in fact, 70 million Zionists are American, quote unquote, Christian Zionists. Should be understood. People think, and this is this is the thing that, you know, I've done a lot of education on, is that uh, there's only 14 million Jews in the world, okay? But there's 70 million American Christian Zionists. So it should be very simple for people to understand Zionism is a political ideology, which basically says there's this concept of the chosen people um, and those chosen people basically can do no wrong and they can go in and uh, annihilate indigenous people in Palestine because um, of this whole political ideology that Theodore Herzl created. But it has nothing to do with Judaism except borrowing some certain symbols and some uh, religious um, uh, elements from, you know, the Jewish text. No different than in the Indian Brahmanism or the caste system, 
borrowed certain things from Hinduism, right? And so on. So these political ideologies, when they grab stuff from religious um, books or religious teachings, become very, very powerful because you can really um, um, incite the religious or racial sentiments that are very deep and tribal in people. And then you wrap it in a political ideology. That's what Zionism is. But I'm the only presidential candidate, the viable presidential candidate, who's openly non-Zionist or anti-Zionist. Um, uh, Mike Adams, you know, Mike had to go through his educational process. Mike, yeah, a lot of these social media influencers, unfortunately, they're looking at which way the wind blows, Lee. Um, and they're looking at how much they can grab that wind because they need to sell some product or something or get their views. I've never focused on that because I always did other work, you know. I was landscaping, mowing lawns, or writing software. I don't have to rely on this because I know whatever happens, I know how to make a living, right? So I don't have to worry about views to make a living. I have my own ways of making a living. I know how to build stuff. I'm an engineer, right? But most of these social media influencers, they use this medium to sell some crap, right? And they need their audience. So, you know, um, many of them, uh, when it comes to booby effing Kennedy, that's what I call Kennedy. Um, and I do that purposely because here's a guy who's comes from top down. He would never be in his position if he didn't come. He didn't have a Kennedy name. He'd probably be a drug addict washed up on some side of the road in some halfway house because that's where he was headed. Um, he would probably be Biden, in jail. Huh? Biden, isn't it? Biden? Biden. Yeah, well, Biden is that, but they're all that in one form or the other. If they didn't have their families and their backgrounds and their money their wealth but if they didn't if they didn't have this birth lottery that they hit these guys wouldn't be anything right um you know regardless of i mean if i've had the inverse journey right i was born into a, a caste in india which was supposed to pick coconuts all day and that's all they're supposed to do so you know i've had to work i i value people who work none of these people have had to work so when you ask what's going on in palestine it's quite extraordinary because um, that region of the planet, from a political standpoint, the British knew it was going to be one of the most strategic points in the Middle East. They had a vision that that region would become a military base for controlling the Middle East. Mm. And so therefore, when Theodore Herzl in the late 1800s and 1900s was look, looking for a quote-unquote homeland, um, by the way, his choice was actually Uganda before the Balfour Declaration, the British, it was a very good um, meeting of convenience for them. So here's this guy who wanted to, was looking for a homeland. And they said, why don't you come over here to Palestine, right? Because the British always want to create divide and rule a ruckus. And by creating that, they now could um, seize that situation to dominate that region, which was central to British and U.S. imperialist rule. And that's what this was about. That's why we say Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism or at so, that point, colonialism. So how would you, I mean, personally, I see the link between Ukraine, between Palestine and Israel at the moment, the World Economic Forum and the UN and these intergovernmental, not unelected bodies. As president, how would you address some of these issues? Well, first of all, uh, as president, I would cut off all military aid to Israel. If anything, I would fund the Palestinians with military aid, okay? Because they're more in alignment with the United States. You know, the United States model 
if the if the values if you look at the us i mean the united states went through its period of annihilating the indigenous people here right then it went into through its period of defining something called the constitution which then later evolved to have things like the 14th and 19th amendment which had the equal protection clause truly recognizing that all people are created equal now that is not the fundamental foundations of the zionist philosophy okay zionism believes that certain people are better and using that model it's okay to annihilate the indigenous people of palestine so if you just follow it very logically, if the United States truly believes what it stands for, which I believe most of the American working people do, um, there's no reason we should be sending one penny in military aid to Israel. If anything, right now, it's not about sending, I mean, I think they, uh, Biden wants to send 14 billion, 14.9 billion as of a couple of days ago. Well, I would argue um, from the CBS poll that came out about on October 19th, which said 52% of Americans are against sending weapons to Israel. Nearly 64% of young people um, under the age of 30 do not want to send weapons to Israel. So if you purely apply democracy, why is it that 97% of senators uh, want to send weapons to Israel? So 97% of the upper house of Congress wants to send weapons to Israel when 65% um, of young people are going to be fighting these wars, do not want to send weapons to Israel. So clearly there's no, democ uh, there's no democratic process in the United States anymore. So as president, I would say, you know, not one penny of military aid. And if anything, if Israel is going to go commit genocide on the Palestinian people, we should be arming and, if anything, giving military aid and support to the Palestinian people. That would be the right thing to do. If okay. by, by all, you know, sense of freedom or liberation, et cetera. So you mentioned this 97% of U.S. politicians are backing aid to Israel. Yeah, I mean, if you look you at that? specifically the U.S. Senate, the you know, and the House of Representatives after this nut job, Mike Johnson, who's a wacko Christian Zionist, was appointed as a speaker. You know, first thing he did was he has a proclamation that we should support Israel at all costs. And then two days ago, in the middle of the night, they passed another proclamation that there's no way Iran should get nuclear weapons, and by all means necessary, okay, by any means necessary. Um, we should stop Iran and we should support Israel from ensuring that Iran uh, does not have any nuclear weapons. Who decided Israel should have nuclear weapons? I mean, all these random policy decisions are being made um, without any uh, acknowledgement that every country, in my view, every country has a right to nuclear weapons. I'd like to think nobody has a right to them, but... Well, but well I'm saying you if, know, one, if, you one, if one country has it, they shouldn't be the bully on the block, you know? Absolutely. So that's what I'm saying. One, so. You can't go saying, you know, arbitrarily who should have nuclear weapons and who shouldn't. And then and say that uh, th this proclamation said that Israel basically has a right to go bomb Iran if it needs to, to stop them from getting nuclear weapons. But do you, do you see that as a fundamental breakdown in democracy that 96, 97 percent of politicians are forced into making these decisions, are forced down there yeah. because of their financial or their organizational pressures? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's not it's not they have financial pressures. These people do not represent. They're not uh, they're not strong human beings. Lee, they're not. Uh, the reason they are who they are is because they're puppets. Um, I, I, they I, would, I, I would say that it's exactly the same across every Western country at the moment and probably a lot of others. Yeah, because they. The UK. Yeah. So go back to the foundational thing that we started this conversation. If these people actually had a job, they actually had skills they actually could do something, 
they wouldn't have to be prostitutes to Zionism. But because they have nothing, they're just full-time politicians or lawyers. Uh, this is what they do for a living, right? They're full-time scumbags. And as a full-time scumbag, you have to be a puppet. So that means when Zionists say jump, you jump. Sheldon Adelson is one of, he just passed away, but his wife still controls his wealth, is the Zionist who basically had to fund your campaign to win. Every presidential candidate, every president uh, in the recent history had to go to Sheldon Adelson and bow down to him to get his funding. Um, so we have to understand that the consolidation of power in the United States is quite extreme. It's a very small set of people. I call it the swarm. And by the way, you don't have to be Jewish to be part of the Zionist establishment. Um, uh, control policy uh, on a global, uh, uh, on a mass scale. Um, and that it's fascinating that Anthony Blinken is also an Israeli citizen, okay? And his grandfather was one of the founders of Israel. He's also so, one of the founders of West Exec. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so the if you look at the... Um, there was a young young man who was speaking, and you can find it on the internet. And he starts um, laying down um, all the backgrounds of most people who run the CDC in the United States, who were behind big pharma's creation, uh, you know, that profited from the quote unquote pandemic. Well, all of them are Zionists again. All of them are Israeli citizens and U.S. citizens. So you can't ignore the fact that the financial systems in the United States are controlled by Zionists. The health and big pharma systems are controlled by Zionists. The academic systems are controlled by Zionists. Um, so it's a very small set of people who print money at will as they need to fund war in places like uh, Palestine, to subjugate other indigenous people uh, so they could print more money and they could make more weapons. It's a, it's a rotating uh, movement of money among a very small set of people and the rest of us suffer. And the reason no one speaks out against them, Lee, because all of them are getting money from them. Fucking Booby Kennedy, I'm sorry to say, he's not a fighter for medical freedom. He supported the lockdowns in 2020. He's a big time Zionist. Yet I find all these social media influencers, because maybe they think the Kennedy name means something. Ooh, I wish Bobby would change his position on Gaza. You know, it's like, why are you advising this fool? Even Mike, you know, before the call was saying, oh, I talked to the Kennedy campaign. I was trying to change their mind. Why? Why are you trying to make a scorpion become a sheep? He is who he is. And you can see a lot of this. You can see a lot of this opportunism among people. The person, look at what the person did at the time when the crisis occurred. Go to October 7th, October 8th, when this happened, I was the only one who called out Netanyahu as a piece of shit who was all about protecting himself because he was going to be, you know, exited out of power. There was a massive civil war. Yeah, um, people, people forget that. But how, how do you see this, this Zionism and all that's going on in the world and the, the state of political class, the state of politics across the world, and especially in the United States, with regard to the World Economic Forum and the UN and, and these trilateral commissions and this layered global uh, yeah, there, there, there's a video I did, um, Lee, people should go to shattertheswarm.com. It was a 15-minute video you may have seen. If you haven't seen it, see it, please. It's a it's an engineering systems analysis of who is the enemy. And it's not the UN. It's not just the WF. It's not just a bunch of small set of people. It's an entire multiracial aristocracy who spans multiple time zones, multiple geographies, 
who work together as a swarm. You know, as you see a swarm of birds move, there's not any one leader, but they have an overall centroid of how they move, right? Yes. They may even have their own differences. One wing of the swarm may annihilate someone else. Like one wing of the organized crime family may kill the Kennedys and the Kennedys may have killed somebody else, right? But working people shouldn't care about the swarm. But the, 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 what I wanna say to answer your question is the UN, the WEF, um, Zionists, you know, the centralized banks of 100 university professors, the top, you know, 1,000 people run most of the Fortune 1,000 companies. All these people are very closely related, very incestuous. They go play at the same golf course, right? It's it's a it's a finite set of people, least. But but I want people to understand, it's not any one person who's doing this or any one organization, any one racial group, any one religious group. It's multiracial, multi-religious. Um, set of people. So when I say Zionism, I'm not talking about Jews here. I'm talking about that, you know, um, the head of Saudi Arabia is a Zionist. Okay. Um, Jared Kushner is a Zionist. There's 70 million Christian Zionists in America, right? There are Hindus who are Zionists. Okay. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. It's a political ideology. And that swarm um, controls the world. So when you look at the WEF, the World Economic Forum, who they choose uh, as their quote unquote global leaders. Um, the UN is, the UN itself is a swarm, you know? The UN doesn't do anything for anybody, right? Um, go well, look at, elected. yeah, go look at Kofi Annan, who was, you know, him and his son were embezzling crazy money out of the UN. It's a money making venture. You go there to make contacts, you know, to have quote unquote these titular roles to think you're doing something. But all these people at the UN and the WF are doing is they're networking for themselves and their children to cut business deals on the back end. It's a big party networking thing. That's all it is. It's like people go to a certain fraternity. Um, and people really need to get this. These people are not going to do anything. They've never done anything. The only way forward, Lee, to answer your earlier question is we need to build a bottoms up movement. So as president, you know, what I see my role is what would I do differently? I wouldn't do anything differently, Lee. If, if uh, being president, I would still do an interview like this with you, right? Ask these questions. I believe the role of a president is to use that office as a bully pulpit to educate people. The presidency is corrupt, as I've said. The legislature is corrupt. The judiciary is corrupt. Anyone thinking they're going to come in on a movement like we're doing and win the presidency and do something as president, they're sort of fooling themselves. What you can do is you can use it to inspire and mobilize more people faster and sooner. That's what this is really about. It's about building movements. Movements are the only thing, Lee, that have ever changed the world. We've just got a few seconds left, Dr. Shiva. Is there anything else you'd like to add? The only question I've got really is the Constitution, the US Constitution has been under tremendous attack. And yeah. you know, in, in a couple of seconds, how would you deal with that going forward? Well, the most important aspect of the Constitution was the First Amendment, which said Congress shall pass no other law to bridge freedom of speech. On November 16, 2018, Donald Trump signed into law the Cybersecurity Information Security Act, which basically allows Congress and the U.S. government to violate and abridge free speech through the infrastructure that they created called CISA to violate the free speech of every US citizen through social media companies. I was a victim of that in 2020 when I ran for Senate. I was the one in a federal court uh, lawsuit got an injunction exposing this long before Twitter files. 
So what I, I would... I think we're going to run out of time in a minute. I'd just like to say thank you very much for giving us the time to speak. I'd love to do this again when we've got some more time, if, if you'd like to. Yeah, let's do that again, Lee. Thank you. Be well. Okay. Thanks very much for your time, Dr. Shiva. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Recording stopped. Okay, sorry, Dr. Shiva. We just missed 10 minutes while we were waiting at the beginning. I didn't want it to stop abruptly without you. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so you have you only do it for like 20 minutes. Something 40 like minutes. Just 